We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from the book of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but, the po- but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagined it a wall too high to scale. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let me welcome you once again. Uh, We are in a series in the book of Proverbs. And we have been talking about wisdom for about the last couple months. And what we've said is uh, wisdom is more than just knowledge. Uh, You can actually know a lot of things and still not be wise. We've said that wisdom is more than just obeying God's commands. It's certainly not less than that. But it's more than obeying God's commands because so many of the decisions that we make in life, God's commands don't actually directly speak to. So here's how we've defined wisdom. Wisdom is navigating the maze of life. And I use that word maze because that's how life feels. It's complex. It's complicated. It's not always black and white. Decisions are not always black and white. Should I do this? Should I do this? What what is God's will? It's not always black and white. So it's navigating the maze of life in such a way that the decisions that we make do three things. They honor God, they enable us to flourish, and they lead to the flourishing of others. Now, last week, we talked about wisdom in our work, and uh, two weeks ago, we talked about wisdom in our words, and this morning, we are talking about wisdom in our money. Why are you not more excited about this? Wisdom in our money. Wisdom in our money. Uh, I was was, uh, meeting with someone 
couple months ago who is relatively new to our church, and they said, you know, what I love about, I said, tell me about how's it been coming to Red Oak, and they said, I love this church. You guys never talk about money. And I said, what are you doing Sunday, August 20th? Make sure, you're, make sure you come to church that day. Uh, we have to talk about money because the Bible talks a lot about money. In fact, Jesus talked about, to say Jesus talked about money a lot is an understatement. He talked about money more than he talked about prayer, more than he talked about sex, more than he talked about hell. Money is a big deal to Jesus. So we're going to talk about money today, and before we jump into this, I need to give a couple caveats. Uh, first is this, is that you need to know that the pastors of this church do not know what you give to this church. That's really important. You're not going to end up on a naughty or nice list based upon how you respond to this sermon today. Second, some of you need money. You need financial help. You are in a season of crisis. You don't know how you're going to pay your rent this month. You don't know how you're going to pay a bill this month. And what I want you to hear before we jump into this sermon on money is that that's actually what the church is for. It's supposed to be a community that helps you in times of need. So if that's where you are, come to us because we'd love to figure out how we can walk alongside you. Here's the third caveat. You need to know that when the Bible talks about money, it is not because God wants something from you. No, it's because God wants something for you. And that's my goal for us today, is we look at the book of Proverbs and what it has to say about money. My goal is that every single person in this room would leave challenged and changed in the way that we relate to our money so that God is more honored with our money, so that we are enabled to flourish in our money. We live in greater freedom and hope and joy in the way that we relate to our money. And so that we are able to bless and cause others to flourish with our money because we are generous. All right, let me say this. we got a lot of socioeconomic diversity in this room. It's one of the things that I love about this church. We've got the whole spectrum. We have people who are extremely wealthy. We've got people who are sort of wealthy. We've got people who are middle class. And we have people who are very, very poor. People are all over this, this, the socioeconomic spectrum in this room, but we all need the same thing. No matter where you are on that spectrum, we all need the same thing. What do we need? We need wisdom. We need wisdom in our money. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says this, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Every single person in this room, doesn't matter what your bank account says, made in the image of God, and in deep need of wisdom with our money. So let's talk about money. And here's the first thing that Proverbs tells us, is it tells us that money is good. Money is good. You say, wait a minute, what, what about that verse that says money is the root of all evil? Isn't that in the Bible? No. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And we're going to get to more of what that means in just a minute. But you will not find a single verse that says money is inherently bad. Actually, the starting place of the Bible is that money is good, and money is a gift from God. In fact, one Old Testament scholar says that one half of the verses, now I just gave you like a, a sampling of what Proverbs says about money this morning, and we're going to jump into these verses in just a minute. 
But one Old Testament scholar, Bruce Waltke, says that over half, one, one half of the verses in Proverbs that talk about money speak about money in a positive manner. I'll give you some examples. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Proverbs chapter 12, 11, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So over and over and over again, this is what Proverbs tells us. Money is good, but, and this is a big but, pun intended, this is a big but, money is good, but, guys, where's your sense of humor this morning? That was <laughs> hilarious to me. Money is good, but money is also dangerous. Good, but dangerous. That sounds like a double-double from in and out So good. <laughs> and so dangerous. Money is dangerous for all sorts of reasons. I'm going to give you five this morning. Five reasons why money is dangerous. Here's the first. Money can exhaust you. Uh, if you look in your worship guide, and I'm going to invite you to just kind of keep that in your hand, because a lot of these verses are, are there. If you look in your worship guide, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. The text literally says, do not exhaust yourself to get rich. Money can exhaust you. And here's how money exhausts you. Money is constantly saying to you, you'll be happy if you get just a little bit more. If you get just a little bit more, there's always just a little bit more. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, who was a great Russian writer, he wrote this short story about a farmer who was told that he could have all the land he could possess for 20,000 rubles, which is 28 US dollars, for $28, he could have all the land he could possess, that he, all the land that he could walk around in in a single day, he could possess it. And so the only, here's the only catch. The only catch was he had to be back at the starting point by sunset. And so early the next morning, he gets up and, he's, and he starts out at a fast pace. And by midday, he's way far off and he's exhausted but he keeps going, and he keeps going, and then all of a sudden he realizes it's getting late in the day, and Tolstoy says he starts, he starts running back towards the starting point, and he's running, and he's running, and the, and the sun is about to set, and just before the sun sets, he crosses the starting point line, he's gasping for air, he, collapse, he collapses on the ground, he made it just in time, but here was the only problem. Minutes later, he died. And Tolstoy says that his servants built a grave for him that was six feet long and three feet wide. And the title of the short story is this, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And you see, the answer to the question of how much money does a person need, it is always in our minds, it is always just a little bit more. We never think that we have enough. Did you know that 98% of Americans think that they are middle class? Okay, I'm from South Carolina. We, we did not excel in math. But do the math. 98% is in the middle class. The math does not work out. 
It does not work. And this, see, money always says you need just a little more. And the reason this is so exhausting is because it leads to a life of discontent. You know what will exhaust you in life? You know what will wear you out in life? A lack of contentment. It is exhausting. This insatiable hunger to always have more, this scarcity mentality that says, I never have enough. But this is how money works. Isn't that how it works? The more you get, the more you need, the more you want. It's true for me. And this is why money exhausts us. Now, here's the second danger. Money can exhaust you, but money can also corrupt you. Uh, This is from Proverbs 20, verse 17. Not in your worship guide. But listen to this proverb. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to man, but he ends up with a mouth full of gravel. That's quite an image. A mouth full of gravel. It makes me think of my kids when they were two. Always had rocks in their mouth. A, a, a food gained by fraud tastes sweet to man, but he ends up with a mouth full of gravel. Here's what this verse is saying. Money has the power to make you do things you never thought you would do. It has the power to make you cross lines that you never thought you would cross. Um, There's a book called The Psychology of Money. It's written by Morgan Housel. I've I've talked about this book before, but in this book, he talks about Bernie Madoff. And if you're too young to remember Bernie Madoff, in 2008, Bernie Madoff was arrested for the largest Ponzi scheme in in, uh, the U.S. history, He stole over $65 billion worth of money from his investors. But here is like, and this is how Housel talks about it. He says that the really crazy thing about this is that before Bernie Madoff started this Ponzi scheme, he was running an investment firm and he made $25 to $50 million a year, honestly. And what Housel says is this. He says, the question that we should ask is, why someone worth hundreds of millions of dollars would be so desperate for more money that they risked everything in pursuit of even more? He already had an unimaginable wealth, and he threw it all away. Listen to what Housel says. He threw it all away because he wanted more. He had no sense of enough. When you live according to the belief I'll be happy if I have just a little bit more. You begin to develop patterns of crossing lines and telling yourself it's okay. So at work, you know, when you blow it at work, rather than taking, you know, the the fall, you blame somebody else because you're afraid this is actually going to keep me from progressing and moving up. Um, uh, When you believe when you live according to the belief that that if I get a little bit more, I'll be happy, you start to have deceptive and exploitative business practices with your clients and with your customers. And when you live according to the belief that just a little bit more, I'll be happy if I just get a little bit more, you listen, listen, this is how you revert to a life of crime and violence and stealing and telling yourself it's okay. When you live according to the belief that you'll be happy if you just have a little bit more, money has this incredibly corruptive power. You cross lines you never thought you'd cross. You start doing things you never thought you would do. Here's the third danger of money. Money can harden you. Uh, This is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 23. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, 
but injustice sweeps it away. This, this, here's what this verse is saying. It's saying that sometimes poverty is the result of factors beyond a person's control. That it's actually caused by injustice. And see, this is where Proverbs is, people really miss Proverbs because it, it's, it's always balancing these tensions. On the one hand, Proverbs makes this connection between laziness and poverty. It says, look, work hard. But on the, on the other hand, at the same time, it says, listen, you must not conclude that every person is poor because they are lazy. You can't do that. And this is, this is why, listen, there's nothing like the Bible's view of money. Our, it does not fit into our modern categories. Our modern categories are on the one hand, you have people who say, look, all money is bad, and the problem with the world is rich people. And then you have other people who say, no, 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 money is good, and if everybody will just work hard, you can succeed and achieve and accomplish. But the Bible is way more nuanced. It says money is not bad, money is good, but money is incredibly dangerous. And who has it is not always determined by who's willing to work the hardest. See, when you have money, it is so easy to look at poor people and to think, I'm not just above them economically. I'm above them, period. I have worked harder than them. I am smarter than them. Now, what is happening in your heart when you do that? It's hardening you. It is killing your sense of compassion and mercy for people who have not had the same opportunity as you. Who've literally, you know, you're born on third base and they're born on first. And your heart becomes hard. Now listen, the, the inverse is just as true. If you don't have money, it is really easy to despise everyone who does. And you make all of these assumptions about people who have money that all they care about is the bottom line and they're greedy and all they care about is themselves. What's happening in your heart? Money is making you hard. It is hardening you. That's the third danger. Here's the fourth danger. Money can distract you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 5. This is in your worship guide. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I love that image. Your money, sprouting wings, flying away. This is saying your money will not last in the end. You cannot take it with you. You will never see a U-Haul behind a hearst. So you cannot take it with you. Money will not last, but what money does is it so often distracts us from the things that do last, from the things that really are actually important in life. There was an article uh, that came out of the New York Times just this week by David Brooks. Here was the title of the article, To Be Happy, Marriage Matters More Than Career. Uh, what Brooks says in this passage, he says, according to an analysis of recent survey data by the University of Virginia, Professor Brad Wilcox, listen to this, 75% of adults ages 18 to 40, that's a lot of you in this room, 75% of adults ages 18 to 40 said that making a good living was crucial to fulfillment in life, while only 32% thought that marriage was crucial to fulfillment. 
In a Pew Research Center survey, 88% of parents said that it was extremely or very important for their kids to be financially independent, while only 21% said it was extremely or very important for their kids to marry. We are so caught up. We're so distracted by money and career. And yet what the article goes on to point out is there is a mountain of evidence, a mountain of evidence that shows that marriage and other, please hear me if you're single in this room, marriage and other intimate friendships, deep friendships, are at the core of our happiness, not money or career. See, but what does money do? It distracts you from that. It distracts you from what really matters in life. Your money will fly away. Your possessions will fly away. These things will not last forever. You know what will last forever? The person sitting right next to you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is money distracting you from? Who is money distracting you from? Maybe it is a brother or sister in this church family who needs your time, who needs your encouragement, who needs a phone call, who needs coffee with you. Maybe it is your spouse that money is distracting you from. Maybe it is your children Maybe it is your friends. Maybe it's your neighbor. Who is money distracting you from and what is money distracting you from? What are the important things in life that have gotten lost in the pursuit of money? Maybe it's just regular time with God. You don't have time for time with God because you're always chasing money. Maybe it's thinking just as much about the kind of person you want to become as the kind of money you want to make. Maybe you are so busy pursuing money that you do not have time to serve people, to serve your family, to serve your friends, to serve your neighbor, to serve your church community, to serve the city. Money can distract you. It's so dangerous. Here's the last uh, danger of money. Money can blind you Money can blind you. Look at uh, your worship God, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much money and disown you and say, who is the Lord? This is the most dangerous thing about money. Money has the power to blind you to your need for God. Money has the power to blind you to your true spiritual state before God. The more money you have, the easier it is to say, who is the Lord? Why do I need God in my life? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about, have you ever asked this question, why is the Bay Area so secular? Why are there so few, why are Christians so in the minority? Why are there so few people here who believe in God? Now, I think the assumption is it's because people here are so sophisticated. We're so sophisticated. I mean, we are right, right down the road, the number one public university in the world. We got some college students in the house this morning. The number one public university in the world. 
you know, we are, we are, we're right next to San Francisco. We've got Silicon Valley just down the road. We think we are, we are modern people. We are progressive people. We are sophisticated people. We are, we are past all this stuff about the existence of God. But let me ask you a question. What if the reason, the reason this place is so secular is not because people are so sophisticated, but because they're so successful? This is what Proverbs is saying. Proverbs is saying the more money you have, the more access you have to power and to privilege, the more prejudiced you are against belief in God, the more likely you are to say, who is the Lord? And this, is, this, this kind of explains things, actually. It explains why Christianity is on the decline in America, but is exploding in much poorer parts of the world, like Africa and China and South America. Do you see how dangerous money is? I feel like you do because everybody's really quiet this morning and it's really hot, so maybe you're falling asleep, but do you see how, money dangerous, how dangerous money is? It can exhaust you, it can corrupt you, it can harden you, it can distract you, it can blind you to your need for God. This ought to shake us, it ought to give us pause, and it ought to make us ask, why? See, this is how it's dangerous. But the question is, why? Why does money have this kind of power? And I want to unpack that for just a minute with this verse, Proverbs 18:11, that says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Now, in the ancient world, it was the rich people who lived in the cities. And it was the poor people who lived outside of the cities. And so to live in the city meant two things. It meant significance and it meant security. It meant you had significance. You were a person of means. You were important. You had status. And it meant you had security. Because unlike the poor people, you know, the city had walls. You had protection. But so you were protected from what? From wild animals, from all of the criminals. If you lived in the city which is where the wealthy lived, you had significance and you had security. But notice, I want you to notice this. Can we go back to that verse? It says, look at this. It says, the wealth of the rich, wealth of the rich is their fortified city. It does not say the wealthy live in the city. No, it actually says the wealth of the rich is their city. In other words, their money is their significance. Their money is their security. And this is why money has such incredible power over our lives. Because it is always promising us these two things. Significance and security. Money is always saying to us, if you have enough, you will be secure. You will be safe. Think for just a moment about the, the words that we use in the financial world. We talk about investing in securities. <laughs> we talk about creating trust. The language of safety is built into the way that we talk about money. Because we believe that if we have enough money, we're safe, we're secure. We, we think if we have enough, I will never have any worries in life. Which is really interesting because in Matthew 6, Right after Jesus says, worship God and not money, do you know what he says? He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
Jesus knows that if you worship your money and not God, he knows that if you put your security in your money and not God, your life will be dominated by worry. And people who look to money for their security tend to be savers. We're always saving. We're always hoarding. We're always investing, tucking it away. Always worried we don't have enough. Because money is saying, I can make you secure, I can make you safe. But it also says, I can make you significant. Again, just think about the words that we use in the financial world. We call the sum total of a person's possessions their net worth. <laughs> we use, we think about that word worth. We connect our worth to how much we have. I mean, nobody will say this out loud, but deep down, we think, if I have enough, then I am enough. And people who look to money for significance don't tend to be savers, they tend to be spenders. They tend to be people who are always upgrading. <laughs> upgrading your phone, upgrading your car, upgrading your wardrobe. And often living above our means, actually. So money has this incredible power of our lives because it promises us these two things, significance and security. And so here's the, here's the million dollar question this morning, is how do you break the hold of money over your life? How do, you, how, do you, how do you get out of the path of danger? How do you, listen, there are people in Mexico and Southern California right now, there's a hurricane coming. There is danger on the way. And they are getting out of the way. And what Proverbs is saying is, money is coming at you like a hurricane. It has all sorts of danger. So how do you avoid the path of destruction? And the answer is simple, actually. Simple but hard. <laughs> Generosity. Generosity. Um, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Listen to this. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So what Proverbs is saying is money has the power to exhaust you and it has the power to corrupt you and harden you and distract you and blind you, but generosity has the power to refresh you, to bring you life rather than taking life from you. And so to break the power of money in our lives, you have to learn to be generous with your money, generous towards the church, generous towards the poor, generous towards the work of God's kingdom in the world. Generosity is the way that you control your money rather than your money controlling you. It's how you avoid the danger of it. Now, when verse, let me read this again. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly. When, when that verse talks about withholding unduly, it is talking about the Old Testament command to tithe. To withhold unduly means to withhold more than you should. And what God says in the Old Testament is you should give away 10% of all your income. 
10%. Some of you think 10%. That is crazy. Well, when you come to the New Testament, there's no percentage. The command to tithe actually isn't even there. You won't find a single rule about how much to give, and you think, okay, good. See, you assume it's less. But why do you assume it's less? Why, I mean, why do we not assume that it's actually more? In Luke chapter 19, there's a story of a man named Zacchaeus. He's a very wealthy man, and he meets Jesus for the first time. And you know what the first thing he does is? It doesn't say the first thing he does is go to church or pray or read his Bible. It says the first thing that he does is he gives away 50% of everything that he has. One of the greatest indicators, friends, this is a, this is a, a way to, to get some sense of the temperature of your heart towards Jesus. One of the greatest indicators that you are a follower of Jesus is that you have become radically generous with your money. Because when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Bible goes from tithing, which is about the law, to generosity, which is about love and wisdom. It, it, think about wisdom again. It goes from what is the least amount that I have to give to what is the most that I can give in order to honor God and in order to enable me to flourish and to lead to the flourishing of others. See, generosity honors God. Generosity is the way you say, God, everything I have, every penny, not just 10%, every penny I have is yours. It's not mine, it's yours. It came from you. It's a gift from you. You have simply called me to be a steward of it. Generosity honors God. Generosity enables you to flourish because it keeps your money from exhausting you and corrupting you and hardening you and distracting you and blinding you. And generosity is what leads to the flourishing of others because you take your money and you bless the poor with it. And you bless those who are in need. And you contribute to the work of God's kingdom in this world. How do you avoid the danger? How do you break the power? You have to learn to be generous with others. So everybody ready? Everybody ready to go and do it? Let me just, let me be the Debbie Downer for a minute. Uh, you will be severely disappointed if this is all I leave you with this morning. Because I promise you, you might make some changes this week. You might make some new resolutions. I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this. But I promise you, money will start whispering to you. I can make you secure. I can make you significant. To break the power of money, you don't just need to practice generosity towards others. You must receive God's generosity towards you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The Christian gospel says that Jesus Christ had ultimate riches. 
And therefore, he had ultimate significance and ultimate security. Think about the significance that Jesus Christ had. The Bible says that all things were created by him and for him and through him. It says that all power is derived from him. It says that he is ruling and reigning over all things, that he has always been the most important person in the universe, and that the hosts of heaven have worshipped him and sung to him for all of eternity past. He had ultimate significance. He had ultimate security. He was safe with the Father. He lived in a world of love. Darkness and evil could not touch him. And yet, what did he do? He gave all of it away. He gave away all of his significance. Here is what we know from Jesus Christ through the gospel accounts that are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. We know this. We know that he was born in an unforgettable part of the Roman Empire. We know that he was born in a feeding trough for animals. We know that he was born into a family of no social influence and of no wealth. And we know that he lived the first 30 years of his life in such obscurity that we hardly know anything about it. He gave up all of his significance. He gave up all of his security. He left the safety of heaven. He left a world of love. And he made himself vulnerable. He took on flesh, and he came into this world that is filled with violence and evil and injustice, and he became a victim of it. He was beaten, mocked, scorned, betrayed, crucified, and died. Now, why did he give it all away? Here's what the gospel says. So that we could be rich. So that we could be rich in significance. Do you know how important you are to God? When you trust in Christ, the Bible says that you become a son of the living God, a daughter of the living God, a child of the King. It says that you are co-heirs with Christ. It says that God knows the number of hairs on your head and you are infinitely precious to him. Do you know the security that Jesus Christ offers to you? Not just significance. Do you know how safe you are in God? When you trust in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from him. No sin that you ever commit. No suffering that ever comes into your life. Not even death itself. The one thing death can do is can usher you deeper and deeper into God's presence. See, before you can be generous towards others, you have to receive and to taste God's generosity towards you. And that is what this table is about. This table says that Jesus Christ did not just tithe his life. He gave all of his life. He poured all of his blood out. And he did it for us. Your money my money, makes all sorts of promises to us. But it cannot come through for you. It cannot make you safe. It cannot give you significance. Your money cannot love you. Your money will not die for you. But Jesus did. So come to him and receive him and eat 
and drink of him, and then you will become generous like him. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Bible says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your generosity to us. That you have given your most treasured possession in order to have us. You withheld nothing in order to have us. Would you help us to believe that as we come to this table today? Some of us, we have never believed that for. We've never known what it's like to be loved like that or to believe in a God who could love us like that. Would you help us to believe today? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.